Alright, it's time for what has lately become the daily walk and talk. Good deal, good deal. And I think that this, well that, that idea of like something becoming a daily routine or a daily ritual, like whether that's for a time or in the long term, I think is that like two, is that we don't know ahead of time you know, we, we human beings don't really know ahead of time much the things that are actually going to be the things that will actually be good for us. And so, as a consequence, we can make all kinds of resolutions. And, you know, you hear many people say things like, I should, blah, 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 I should, blah, blah, blah. And most of those, well, you know, some of those things may be, may be true, but many of them may not be and if a person took on uh anyway um i'm i'm getting a little sidetracked but i think that the best habits we develop are ones which kind of grow out of something now this like of course when i first started uh, yeah i mean it's only like eight eight walk and talks in but when i began like there were like, there were ideas kind of bandying around in my head. Like, oh, I could do this every day or just be a long-term thing. But those thoughts, when it comes to anything, like, when you fantasize too far ahead, I mean, I think a little bit of fantasy is fine. It can be healthy. But those thoughts applied to anything are usually pretty counterproductive and get you caught up. Oh, wow, you know, I think this actually connects back to the talk about uh, between the left and right brain earlier um, that that I think that's like a sort of disembodied left brained uh, like overly left brained thinking that you get like caught up in fantasy land I think sort of like drifting off into space head in the clouds is a very left brained thing and, and I think um hmm well, in, in the talk and also in my own... Like, I think I have to be careful not to be overly biased against the left brain, but the fact is that for most of my life, I think I've been extremely biased towards the left brain. And so, uh, you know, getting more right brain action in there is, uh, might, might require a, a little bit of unfair bias to eventually even things out and then you scoot back to the center. Um, but just think, well, I've been thinking about that talk um, a lot tangentially lately, especially in terms of uh, as it relates to past experiences. Like, for, for instance, I think that when I got really deeply involved in charismatic Christianity, uh, as I've mentioned before, I think that that was, well, that was definitely an experience of getting more intimately and intensely connected to my emotional center than I had ever been and I think also uh, and also my right brain however yeah uh, well yeah so I'll just leave that as a statement and not make any kind of commentary on it um, and uh, alright and then other other times of becoming involved with right-brained activity. Well, there are a few other things that sparked off in my mind over the past over the past couple days, but 
not anything that I'm thinking occurring to me at the moment. Wow. Full of life. Beautiful day, just some wisps of cloud and an otherwise bright, bright blue sky. The sun is just going to be going down into the ocean or behind the ocean here in a little bit. So lucky. It's so pretty out. And it's Sunday. Everyone's walking around. Passing by the familiar lady jogging. She's out here every day jogging. Good for her. Like, that's routine for her. That's like every day. Almost, I mean, I don't know how, how long she does it for every day because I don't go walking at the same time every day. But probably like 75% of the days I've gone walking, I see her. And she's also got like her little Bluetooth earpiece in there. She's talking to people on the phone often. Probably listen to whatever shows she likes. I don't know. That's pretty cool. She's living life. Enjoying herself and keeping herself fit. Now it's interesting because at, fir- at first I sort of well, I sort of saw it in like and uh, you know it, it's clear that her body is broken down in certain ways because um, her, her movement is not like it's not the most graceful. You know she's she's on the older side. You know the movement can be pretty ungainly. Or like not, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know what I mean. I'm not saying anything negative. It's just an observation. But still, she's out there. She's often smiling, you know. And I will smile and wave at each other. Um, we recognize, you know, one another. But at first, I was sort of like, because you know, because the motions were ungainly. I there, there was like this little bit of prejudice of like, oh wow, or like, or maybe she seems to be struggling. But in giving it a little more time, just seeing her pass by like a dozen times more, just like realize, no, this is not only something that's good for her, but she's genuinely enjoying it. Good for her. Perfect. It's a really positive thing. A lot of beautiful people out here by the ocean today. Passing by a cross section of humanity. Now there's a dude mouthing along to a rap song in a car with <laughs> in the seat behind him that looked like, I don't know, two people in each other's laps. It, it, <laughs> I don't even know what was going on there. Now there's some people like talking in sort of animated way. Oh, they're. They're getting ready to make out. Yeah, he's he's giving her eyes. Just passing through found. Excuse me, thanks. Yeah, some big Hispanic families around here. Are there other kinds? But uh, (laughs) yeah, for sure. Little picture going on, photo opportunity. See in the car. What kind of car is this? Uh, that's a pretty cool looking Toyota Camry. Oh boy, there's a 
Nissan, which is obviously Vanity Place, obviously been pimped out. I think they call that a rice rocket. <laughs> but I don't know if the person who owned it is Asian. But it's got like a custom exhaust pipe and a like a little spoiler and like a racing stripe along the side. Uh, and it looks like it probably has some updated innards, you know, like a more powerful engine or whatever. And that's pretty cool. Oh man. Like, I hope the person, like, the, the, well, those kinds of cars, like when, oh man, here's a guy rolling down. Uh, <laughs> this guy has this huge beard. It's like this ancient uh, Chevrolet, or was that a Cadillac? Yeah, this is ancient Cadillac. It, but it's like, it's not lime green, it's not mint green. It's somewhere in between those two. He's got this ultra glossy paint job. He's just he's just cruising, rolling, you know, 15 miles an hour, just enjoying life. Like when people have those kinds of very individual cars, like that green Cadillac or the the rice rocket, they uh, it's like an expression of people's enjoyment, like. Their gusto in life. Like, I really like this. I've put a lot into it. It means something to me. And I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. Great. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. I never thought I would say this. But I just saw a really dope Kia Soul. And I just passed by a dude who was cleaning his car windows off with a Windex. It's like, everybody's out. <laughs> From the partiers to the spring cleaners. <sighs> Might as well be springtime in L.A. The temperature's right for it. It's only February 28th, though. I think it's the 28th, right? I think so. Anyways... Beautiful day. <sighs> Good deal. Good deal. Happy days, happy days. thinking about expectations right now. Uh, uh, recently, in this game that I've been playing, some changes were made over the last few years. You know, I returned, returned back to it. It's an online multiplayer, uh, multiplaying, role-playing game. So, like, it takes place in this persistent environment which is shared by a whole bunch of players at the same time. Um, and there was this one change where in the past it used to be that the uh, that, that this quest gave you 
the materials will like give you materials that helped you in completing it but now you have to go and get them yourself and and, and it's also it's a quest with many stages it's a 35 stage quest it has a very significant reward at the end but like uh so i i kept on progressing through this quest i was a little less than halfway through it and i did a few stages today and i looked in my inventory and I'm like ah oh, i don't see those items that i expect to be there because it's actually something that i really liked because by doing that quest and using the material it gives you in order to complete it much more efficiently than uh than you need you can have a surplus of that material which is useful for other things and so i actually really really liked you know that quest not just for the significant reward at the end but also just the ancillary benefits along the way you know and the experience points and whatnot but uh what was but when i discovered that the, they didn't you know give you those materials to go along with your you know your questing i was actually, i was kind of like oh man i really dislike that um it, and it was just a perfect example of how your expectations in a situation can throw your emotions out of whack you know and it can work it can work either way in this case it was like negatively like ah oh, not getting what i thought i was going to get whereas if you receive an unexpected bonus you'd be like oh wow hmm, that's quite nice and uh of course that idea of uh expectations being a determiner of uh your state of satisfaction been done to death by many other people i don't think it'll be really new talking about it here but it was something that reminded me of that today i think in that way as we human beings are are in a lot of ways just like uh are, are in some respects like information propagating machines at least like the social aspect of humans are you know these information repeating mechanism when something strikes you in a way that seems convincing which is to say like it goes along with with a feeling yeah it's been established that memories make an impression on us as they are related well this is um research that i have heard once again heard of but not read the original source material however i'm repeating it because the conclusion uh because the conclusion is consistent with my experience that memories make an impression upon us i uh consistent with the level of emotion that we experience with the memory however there's a sweet spot that having too much emotion associated with the memory can distort the memory um uh and i've had a first-hand witness of this uh, experience when someone very close to me in my family uh there was a well ha- had like an, an eruption that i an eruption of anger that i was not expecting and really shook me and took me by surprise and then and and they were screaming at me and i felt very unsafe in uh for you know for a period of of a few minutes but i also c- couldn't really leave 
the situation, at least I felt. Um, uh, as and now as a consequence, well, and then and then later, I mean, I I didn't bring it up for a long time, but I did bring. Well, no, I think it was a few months later. I brought it up, and then that same person said, you know, said, well, such and such a thing happened, and blah, 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 and then you were screaming at me. They were saying that to me, saying that I was screaming at them, which is, according to my recollection of the events, completely false. However, when they said that to me, I, when, when they said that to me, I remember, Jesus Christ, no, I wonder what, Okay, now, just like the, the music suddenly became a lot louder, and it wasn't consistent with me walking past. I thought someone was just being, whatever, so it's not personal. <laughs> uh, it's just making it hard to think. It's cool to see everyone partying, though. <laughs> oh, there's this little kid in a, in a pirate's baseball cap who is venturing further than he is allowed. Uh, but also looking back over his shoulder like who's gonna come stop me uh all right yeah well when i had that experience and this and this and this person said you were screaming at me it launched me back in my memory of situations that i had been in where i'd like had a similar discharge and like been uh like screaming or emotionally violent or whatever you want to call it towards another person and then was aware as I was twisting the truth in my own mind that that's what I was doing and thinking like oh this is such a horrible thing but then also like I giving into it or being powerless to stop it I don't know I think you, you do have the ability to stop but but I, I recognize like oh I've done the very same thing and this is very terrible and horrible but I, I don't think that I can do anything to convince this person that the that the facts of the case were other than what they are stating it um, and I, I you know and looking back on it I'm quite pleased that I came to that conclusion at um, at 17 or 18 I think it was like at that time at that time that that was a that was a response and a and, and a, like that was a level of thinking through those things in a response which was beyond my development in that area at that time but I had a sort of rare moment of clarity uh, because all these things connected in my mind and I was able to see things I think more as they are than as I want them to be or whatever so there's that situation uh, did that come from the expectations topic where did that come from oh yeah that memories make an impression upon us consistent with the level of emotion connected with them and I think one of the reasons why I remember so many of the things that I've learned is that I get this little emotional buzz like this little high from learning new things and, and making new connections within my mind matter of fact I have one story to tell which is 
it was amazing. Um, I have not had an experience like this since. Um, yeah, before or since, I don't think I've had an experience quite like this one. But uh, so in in college, I was taking a lot of mathematics, statistics, and economics classes concurrently with each other. Um, and, you know, in, in and at different times. Uh, and of course, when these subjects were being developed by the people who did the groundwork that I was learning in all of them, a lot of the groundwork was being developed by the, the very same people, like people who were interested in all three of them. Uh, this, this, the same is not necessarily true of economics, but especially, well, especially between mathematics and statistics, in mathematics and economics, and statistics and, uh, and, and economics, they're, you know, anyways. Um, yeah, so there would be related concepts in each of these. Uh, and so I was taking a, a course, I was taking a course in regression analysis in statistics. And, uh, and we were going through, like, the, the theoretical part of of the lecture, which is when the uh, which is when the lecturer sort of shows you that what they're telling you or teaching you is demonstrably true, yeah. and uh, we were getting into something which is called a uh, uh, the 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 covariant matrix of a multiple linear regression. So we were sort of stating in this really general way about what what this matrix looks like. And when and I just sort of had a brainwave while while we were in the lecture and I put my hand up and Dr. Swanson, she's amazing, Julie Swanson. I can't remember if it's Swanson or Swenson, but uh, it actually probably is Swenson. But anyways, Dr. Julie Swenson, not only an excellent teacher, but a very, yeah, a very understanding, compassionate human being, um, uh, you know, said, yeah, well, what's up? And I said, are those terms, um, um, like, are, uh, you know, are, are those terms, like, outside of the diagonal, the covariant uh, the, the, the covariant terms between the, um, because at, at that point the matrix was blank except for the diagonal terms. And I said, those other addresses, which are not on the diagonal, you know, are, is that the covariance between, and it connected all of a sudden with all these things that I've been learning about linear algebra and, uh, the, and, and, and the fact that you needed, you know, in, in, in the fact that, uh, uh, one of the assumptions that you make in, in in regression analysis is the independence of the terms, which means that they're, uh, which means they don't have a perfect one-to-one correlation. Which means because if they did, you would need to reduce the uh, the size of the matrix because you're just basically stating the same thing twice over. And all these different all these different ideas from uh, you know from linear algebra and just this collection of ideas from mathematics and statistics all 
melded into this one moment and I asked that question and she said yes and I was like wow that is really cool and nobody understood why I was freaking out so much or a few people understood why I was freaking out so much but the way I describe it, it was almost as if I could feel the electricity arcing across my brain like this lightning uh you know, but between the two sides of my brain, it's just the whole thing lit up. It was this intense experience within, like, within my head. Like, you, you don't often feel inside of your skull unless it's a headache. Sometimes I feel a certain coolness, like a sort of sensation of coolness that seems to be in my brain, which I think is a, a good one. <laughs> There's like a, a hotness that I can realize. I think when I'm sort of, when I'm sort of uh, stressing out and like short circuiting over and over over the same thing. Um, but this was, I mean, this was like this was one of the most intense sensations inside my brain, and it was just all this. Uh, enjoyment and pleasure and like I and I and 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 I was like basically singing while I was walking home. not really but like and I was so full in it you know for hours afterwards and I also had did not know what to do with myself who to share it with I mean I wound up calling a friend and like and this friend was like I am so happy for you <laughs> like like I and it was great because they were like they were doing what they could like I recognize that I cannot appreciate or I do not at this time appreciate this on the same level that you are but I'm so happy for you and if you just need me to be here on the phone while you're happy because that makes it feel like there's someone to share it with and so be it but um the range of human experience the range uh, is just incredible very impressive i think it's important to cultivate remembering how it how it can be like when you are not one way or another and and that goes on both sides like when you're f- feeling especially down like, one of the things that can really get you in a bad spiral is not remembering that it's possible to feel differently and also not remembering what things that you can do to sort of help bump your feeling in, you know, in that direction. But then also, when you're feeling great, it can feel like... Like, it can feel, subjectively, in that moment, very much like you will never <laughs> have a bad thought or feeling ever again. Um, but if this... And it can be very uh, disappointing if you're, like, (laughs) if you're disappointed by, by, uh, your state changing and then not feeling that way, uh, anymore, at least for a time or even years, um, anyways, just going through, just a moment, just going through life, trying not to go crazy. Try not to feel totally crazy. We are now at White Point Preserve. Probably go to the end of this and then walk back. The sun will probably have set by that point. Maybe I want to push it. Maybe I want to go get back home by the time it's a little bit dark. That'd be nice. Oh, someone smoking a joint.
go down the hill, hang out. <laughs> Expectations, remember, don't have them. Nah, I don't want a part of this person's joint. I'm just gonna sit on the concrete, check out the sun for a bit. This is like a really interesting concrete embankment. It's also super rough because no one was meant to sit on it. It was like a wedge shaped. Oh, it looks like he might actually be vaping. Yeah, but he's totally in his own space. It's not someone to, not someone who, who wants to be talked to, but not in an unfriendly way, which I think is a wonderful thing to wonderful way to be and a wonderful thing to realize. <sighs> Little bits of broken glass down below me. I think this is a popular spot to sometimes drink. Oh, there's like a beach house right at the bottom of the cliff over, cliff over to the left. Some little potted plant on the porch. Some chairs. Oh, nice solar panel array on the roof. Good on you. Now that's a topic which is worth talking about. <laughs> Sustainable energy. I wonder... I wonder about that. So... Hi. Hello. Smells good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, some more marijuana over there. Uh, yeah. So, I do not know, but I'm willing to believe, well, I'm willing to believe that solar power could be better than... Uh, solar power could be better in general for the environment than uh, petroleum, natural gas, other carbon-based fuel systems. However, um, I do think that it comes along with a separate set of challenges. And I don't think it's right to be totally sold full stop on the idea that on the idea that solar power is strictly superior and that we should go all in on it. Because well like when so California started uh, started uh, giving out all these subsidies uh, to people who put solar panels on their roof. Like, okay, great. Then I started thinking, it's like, okay, you know, this is probably better. This is probably better than burning gas for electricity or something like that. But let's think for a second. How do those solar panels come to be? How are they made? What? And then also, what is their life cycle? How long do they last? If you have a huge wave of people putting solar panels on their roofs 
over say a two-year period or even a five-year period and then in these solar panels let's let's say I mean I'm I'm stating higher than I was initially going to estimate but let's give it a very generous estimate let's let's say these solar cells uh, last 30 years on average with a standard deviation of five years being that like within between 20 to 40 years 95% of these will need to be replaced. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, hi. So you, you've had to do something in order to, in order to manufacture all of those solar cells. Um, and one of the things that you've had to do, hi, is extract materials from somewhere to make them. Well, those materials are extracted uh, from mining. And you know, and then, and then I, I asked a friend. You know, he was actually in the uh, solar cell sales business. You know, he was working with a company that was taking advantage of the subsidy to do a lot of business. And he was saying, like, yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, and it's not to say, like, it, you know, and I'm not trying to like give a cowspiracy plastic paradise message. If you've seen those movies, sort of like it's all fucked up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but, but you, you've had to mine the earth for whatever allows those solar cells to function. And it turns out, like, there's a lot of blowing up mountains and strip mining that's involved in that. Because you need to get it some, uh, some very rare materials. And it'd be really good if I was, uh, you know, if I was more specific on this point. But I can't be, so I'm not going to try and bullshit my way through um, but the fact is that, it, you know, anyone who tries to sell, sell you on the idea that an alternative source of energy is costless, you know, it doesn't have some kind of cost or other consequence, you know, whether you see it or not, is not, um, is not thinking straight or understanding the true facts of the case you know, or the, the full scope of the issue, uh, because everything has a cost, and so I've just wondered, uh, whether in the long run, solar cells, like, what well, maybe there will be a solar cell crisis after this carbon crisis, and of course, you know, and it seems pretty clear <laughs> that the carbon issue is, uh, is having a, like, direct, not just direct impact, but threat to, you know, to, to life. And that it's really important not to change the environment so radically in such a short period of time. Realize that um, that could have disastrous consequences. It's like nature usually, um, usually works in gradual processes, but when some, uh, when some process gains such gains such massive rewards in a way that can be uh, fed into a loop but then that loop eventually imbalances the system for instance in population dynamics if uh, some uh, in population dynamics if you play with the rate at which a population uh, changes too quickly, 
the population dynamic goes into a state of chaos. And eventually, like, uh, you, you could lose the species as a result of that chaotic behavior. Um, I've turned back now. Got towards the end of White Point. It's time to hoof it on back. <laughs> That's so funny. I wonder if if those people I passed by were smoking in the in that secluded area because uh, because they just like it out here, <laughs> or if they live with someone who doesn't like it when they do it there, or they still have the sort of old habits of when weed was illegal. Maybe it's I don't. Maybe it's socially stigmatized. I haven't experienced any negative social stigma towards it yet. Like, and I, I don't identify a general social stigma. I think there are groups of people who have a sort of fixed in their mind, uh, fixed ideas in their mind about it. Yeah, whenever someone is totally fixed on a, like a, on an on idea or like in their thinking on a topic and won't be persuaded that's just like a well I think that's a sort of defense mechanism the best thing hmm I, I wonder I wonder well I don't think okay alright okay okay I was going to say I wonder what the best way to dis- disarm defenses of that kind are but the thing is I think I'm I'm sort of trying to go into the role of control like you like you can't always expect like you can cultivate tools which will uh prevent defensiveness from growing into this big ugly creature <laughs> but you can't always expect oh thank goodness just putting too much pressure on myself <laughs> yeah other people's emotional states aren't my business to manage or control. Reminder number 249 on that subject. It's too much talking. <laughs> well, but then again, I think it's good. This talking is helpful. But in general, too much talking. Goddamn. So the thing is, like you, you get so much, just so much benefit from processing an idea or a situation through your mind. You know, a, a certain amount. But then, if you continue processing after you have reached the limit of your capacity to make progress on it, I think you just reinforce loops of thinking. That drives you crazy. Um, interesting point here. I think that I think that there is like a, a really um, well, what to me felt like a really surprising and profound reason for like the universal symbol for saying someone's crazy or cuckoo is is uh, is making circle noises with your uh, circle motions with your hand or your finger. Uh, next to your ear, which is that um, a lot of craziness is just someone getting fixated on a topic and going around and around in circles on that topic with themselves. Um, 
you know, endlessly. And it becomes harder and harder to break them out of that. Um, I realized that when I met someone who was diagnosed as, <laughs> you know, who, who had a who, who had a serious difficulty. And I had a number of conversations with this person. And every now and again, and also, also another person, um, these, these two people, like, there were certain triggers that would send these two people off into this kind of dissociative spiral. This one person, it had to do with his expectations concerning, like, what school he was going to get into and where he was going to gain a degree. And he had this obsessive thought, which, like, if you wandered into that territory you just couldn't unstick him from like you 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 weren't in command or control you couldn't unstick him from that um about like getting multiple phds from different prestigious institutions and i think he was sort of hinging his value on whether he could wind up achieving that in life and then as you know and he looked like he was in a well he was he was balding quite heavily but he was probably in his late 30s early 40s and probably just felt like a complete failure on this point and that he had not achieved those things but he was also convinced that whatever it was he was looking for in life was going to be gained by achieving those things but probably what he was looking for was more along the lines of just exception and compassionate acceptance and compassionate love from other people and the saddest part is he probably had people in his life who were willing to give him that but he just wasn't open to receiving it from whatever combination of circumstances led him to feeling like he needed that kind of distinction or status to begin with in order to be set apart of course that's a story there's the left brain going there um you know it's it's a story about like what might be the case but you know i'm and, and i'm uh, and I'm connecting to my own, like, to, to my own experiences concerning, uh, you know, concerning thoughts towards achievement in life and and so forth. And so, you know, some part of that might be a projection, but that, you know, yeah, but I, I had that insight about people turning their finger around next to their head uh, when I was, or like, at when I was thinking about, like, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I just, because cause I hadn't seen that gesture for many years, and then I was reminded of it somehow, and then I was thinking about it, like, huh, I wonder where that comes from, and then suddenly that guy sprang to mind, and while I was going over the topic again, another person with a, a serious condition uh, sprang to mind, too. He had a different situation, which was that he would get wrapped up in religious ritual and would start, like, um, you know, and s- sort of start practicing, like, these repetitive motions. It was, uh, yeah, so, so anyways. Um, I hope they're doing all right. I hope they're doing all right. I feel very, I feel, I feel very lucky, hmm, not to have been as totally debilitated as those people. There's a really good phrase, there but for the grace of God I go I, Uh, there but for the grace of God go I. It's like, there's something I ought to be grateful about that I don't share that condition 
Like when you see someone in a in a in a really horrible condition, and then you connect yourself to an idea or a story, and I think this is one of the ways that the left brain can be really useful. When you when you construct a story for yourself that tells you how you could wind up in that position, you suddenly access a lot more compassion for the people who are in these regrettable. Ooh, there's like um. Uh, hornet's nest on the or the remains of one on the ground, um, or or bee's nest. I'm not sure. Yeah, something. Yeah, someone in a regrettable state. You will. Uh, I I I can't. I got derailed. Um, yeah, there's something you ought to be grateful for. That you know you could be in that state, but aren't. But to be fair, also, uh, on the other hand, like I spend enough of my time and energy on a daily basis going around and around in topics. It's just like not manifesting itself outwardly or in a totally disruptive way. It's been, it's very, can be very difficult, but can also be very useful to look out for those circular patterns. And then, but then the trick is, well, the trick is finding useful disruptions to them. Because the disruptions that say, it's like, oh, God, I can't believe that I'm doing that. Well, that that's just sort of like punching someone where they already have an open wound. You know, you, you just add a hematoma to, to a puncture, you know, or a slice. Um, so... Yeah, well, okay, so so that uh, a really good way of intervening in those moments is to, maybe you at one point in life have had, um, have had a moment of clarity on that topic, which tells you, which, which, it connects you to a more realistic right? because like anything that yeah you, you're you're trying or you're thinking over and over and over and you become fixated on it's like it's not realistic or it would have happened but then part of that has to do with whether you actually act or if you're just always in your mind thinking about things um yeah if you you sort of have a yes yeah, so get, get a more realistic idea and that's where other people are really yeah, I mean, no one is or should be alone. And like, other people... Keeping you realistic is, 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 is very important. Of course, sometimes people's brands of real... I'm just adding too much complexity than is necessary. Yeah, but other people can be that kind of mirror. That's why it's really important to share. Even, like even really vulnerable or embarrassing things because then most of the time people react uh, respond differently from how you imagine they would when you share those things that you're very worried about uh, sharing it's what my experience has been at the same time you know, I, I still don't share most of the time but, uh, yeah, and then also knowing, like, <laughs> knowing who to share with you. 
like you want to share in uh, to a level which is which is uh, which is I was trying not to use the word commensurate, <laughs> commensurate to the depth of your relationship with that person. Or maybe share just slightly deeper than that. And that's one of those things that can build trust. Is that when you're like on the edge of your discomfort, but not fully, you know, but, but, but not fully past it. You know, like your, your legs are in the water, but you're not submerged in the deep end thrashing and don't know how to swim. a good talk with my girlfriend today. It's really good. And for me, she keeps me realistic in a lot of very helpful ways. Ah, this is like the perfect light for the perfect light for the palm trees. It's just the soft glow. The, uh, the sun is behind the horizon. Ruby streaks of cloud hovering over the edge of the ocean. It's like it's like that orange and uh, red orange and pink sherbet that you get from the grocery store. That's a word that has a complicated history. Sherbet. 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 Sorbet. Oh man, this is some funky music. I could dig some more of this. But I'm walking. Everything has its time. Mmm. The important of being the importance of being focused. Or like having a certain level of focus in life. Oh boy, has that been impressed on me lately. Um Yeah, baby. <laughs> what do you focus on? Uh, I think I've been focused for a long time on the idea that I should do certain things, and it might be true that some proportion, some portion of those things are ones that should get done or ones that I should do, but um, most of those things that I focus on are things that are difficult or painful or I have no desire to do, and without the equivalent force of something to look forward to motivating you, I don't think, like, you can really, uh, yeah, I don't think you can really force yourself to do those things, because, because, like, realistically, your mind knows that you're not getting some other reward, um, yeah, so I think it's probably more important right now that I try and shift my focus to things that I would really like, some kind of rewards, like, for instance, 
being financially rewarded for doing good work, which is something I'm capable of doing. I would be capable of doing a lot of high-value, high-quality work for a lot of people and understanding, um, understanding how it is that I could generate value for those people is uh, really important. One thing I've realized afresh and to a deeper level than I have before is I think that some kind of work that involves the stock market or a commodities exchange could be really could be one that I really thrive in. This game that I was talking about, this uh, this role-playing game, is one where there's a very uh, it has a, a very big economy, and and there are a lot of opportunities for economic activity. I find myself participating in those, and you know, generally, while well, I do very well, I also learn a lot of things about myself. Like a lot of um, begin to understand certain defective stuff about my thinking or decision making as a result of participating in this synthetic economy. But then also realizing, it's like, ah, oh, I'm very good at this too. And, um, you know, since since it mirrors the real-world economy in a lot of very important respects, and is, in the same way that uh, the real-world world economy, the concept of the economy and the commodity exchanges are abstractions, um, I think I could do very well uh, in that. So I've decided to portion some of my job-searching into the into the realm into the area of commodities exchange or you know stock market stuff one thing i find in general is that i'm able to make much better decisions with other people's resources than my own there's this there's this attachment that i have to things which are labeled in my brain as mine which cause all kinds of dysfunctional behavior between myself and those objects whereas when it comes to when it comes to like using or, or managing the uh, you know uh, other people's things I'm able to do that much better much more effectively give much better advice you know like when I'm working for someone and you know and like uh, looking after things I do a lot better job <laughs> when it's not mine that like in a much more realistic job like not spending an absurd amount of time like not protecting things to you know like well like per, like exposing things to a reasonable degree of risk you know um i'm being very abstract in the way i'm talking about that uh i could be wrong like i could be delusional but my impression is that I've done a lot better job of that. Yeah, my, my impression is that that's true. However, get ready to discard your impressions if they, if the preponderance of evidence is that they're false. <laughs> Some cute dogs.
<laughs> I've been making that noise a lot. But <laughs> Usually accompanies some kind of intercepting thought, like some kind of thought which comes to derail me. Or when I think it's very... Like when I think it's silly that I have taken the time to derail myself from the thought in order to address some kind of side issue that comes colliding with my brain. Hmm. What if it were true that thoughts were disembodied, disembodied parcels of energy that fly through the air and can get entangled in the electrical network of your brain? What if that were true? I don't know. I have certain doubts, but in other ways, well, how would you measure it? That's the, that's the question from the perspective of a scientist. How would you measure it? I guess you'd have to figure out some reliable way of identifying thoughts as electrical fields or or, um, or transfers of energetic particles from one place to another. <laughs> we probably have enough to do in science already. Well, but then, you know, but on the other hand, if that were really the case, then it would be worth worth studying. So, I mean, there's nothing not worth doing diligent inquiry about it's just once you uh, have found found an answer that convinces you it's time to give up the ghost so to speak man this reminds me of a um, of a conversation I listened to between Dan Aykroyd and Joe Rogan and oh my god I had no idea how much goofy shit Dan Aykroyd believes, and to sideline this for a second, it's not really my business. I don't really like it's not. I'm not personally invested in whether like he thinks one thing or another, uh, or at least shouldn't be. Maybe I'm lying to myself, but it was definitely very surprising. It's like whoa, Dan Aykroyd. Um, it was overwhelming and tremendous. I'm so happy I'm going to be, I mean, it's, I'm not, and this is, Dan, and this is to say nothing negative of him, I, like, first and foremost, love and appreciate Dan Aykroyd, the Blues Brothers, oh my god, uh, Trading Places, um, uh, Ghostbusters, very cool, um, but when you want uh, anyway, <laughs> but it's just very surprising. But at the same time, you know, he, hearing him talk about things, you know, and then like looking back on uh, like his other, like his public work, is like okay, I could, I could see that, and you know, just seed the uh, let's seed the floor to another thought. Um, where was I going? There was a different thing. It was much better than this one, or I like it a lot more than this one. Oh well, if it comes back, it'll come back. We still have a few minutes more between now and home. Oh wow, beautiful, beautiful sunset.
This reminds me of, again, going out to walk along the coast in Northern Ireland, and I would walk so long that by the time I got home, the sun was setting. You know where I would, like, where I'd get just caught up in, like, doing stuff inside, and it's like, oh my god, the sun has been shining all day, and so I'd just go out for the sunset. I'd try and catch the sunset of the cliff. Whew. Or, uh, or I'd even miss the sunset, but like I saw the ocean, I saw the sky, it was amazing and beautiful. A few deep breaths, all right, back inside. <laughs> um, do you ever look at the letters on a license plate, try and make a word or phrase out of them or some acronym see if you recognize something do that all the time I think it's a very left-brained activity being involved in symbols and whatnot yeah symbols and abstract representations that's another thing I've, I've noticed it's like on uh, in a movie I'll be very drawn to the subtitles if there are any or, like, if there's any kind of symbology in the visual field, I'll scan that first. Like, my eye will... Doo, 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 doo. You know, I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. But, I, but as I said, I do think I spend a lot of time in the left brain. Or being left brain dominant. So it's no surprise. But at the same time, I think it does decrease my enjoyment of the movie. Whereas if I open myself up to a sort of, like, wider perception of the experience... I would uh, enjoy it a lot more. I'd be able to take in more. We know the thing now. Daddy, you got More people having a good time. Thank goodness. You should hop the fence. Hey, what's up? Hi. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't my business to get into the conversation. It's just excited to see two people talking about something that I like a lot, that Korean bell over there. Hmm. Well, that was some good social feedback. <laughs> good reminder. Alright, well, probably another five, ten minutes before we get home. Hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you train your brain to not immediately imagine the negative aspect of what of how someone might respond to you? Do you yeah, do you train yourself to imagine No, I don't think you want to train yourself to imagine like the positive aspect of how someone could react to you because that's setting yourself up for expectations again. Good googly moogly, we did it again. Um, I was talking about, about that very subject, expectations and so forth, on this stretch of the walk on the way out. But, uh, yeah, getting involved in the expectations, but 
and you feel comfortable and secure enough in what you're saying, but also, yeah, just keep a realistic idea of how people could react to you. Be ready for it. Don't take it personally. How? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the source of probably a big part of social anxiety that I sometimes experience. I think I get around that by usually not being too serious in a, in a social situation, taking on the clownish role. But, you know, how do you share some, something, yeah, what's the right balance? Ugh. There's just interminable questions of, of, of that kind. What's the right balance between this and that? Doing introversion and extroversion is like, oh my god, at a certain point it's like, Jesus Christ, stop the mental masturbation. And learn by doing. There we are. We're back to learning by doing. from Life with Father, a book and film. I've only seen the film. I'm sure the book is great. Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy doggondest. The dad in the movie is quoting King Solomon. That's a good piece of advice. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your gumption. Strength, might, enthusiasm. Ooh, that's a that's a good word to use for that instead. Uh, muchness. I believe that it's been translated by some people. Muchness. Do it with your muchness. Do it with your pizzazz. Zazzy. <laughs> do it with your muchness, do it very zazzy. Because I gotta say, this bad attitude's not pizzazzy. There's a cistern off to my right, at least what used to be a cistern, but is now displayed above ground for all the world to see. The rusty ball with a big handle on top. We all have too much faith in one thing or another. And oftentimes a crisis is precipitated by our faith in a thing failing. You know, I'm going to cross the street and visit the fish tanks again. Um, I'm going to put this on pause. because I don't want to record anyone and then make it public without their knowledge. So see you in a minute.
wow, that was cool and fun. What was mere moments for you is like uh, a full 10, 15 minutes for me. I don't know, but that was really cool. Um, got to feed, got to feed fish to fur, the uh, African puffer fish, a snail. Also, Jacob gave me this really cool Japanese moss ball. It lives in water. It's called a marimo. And uh, it's just in this little glass jar. I'm excited. I have like a little pet, a little plant pet to take care of. And uh, apparently every now and again, you just need to take it out of its out of its bowl and give it a squeeze. And it's, uh, yeah, and it remains alive and healthy in the same water that you keep it in. Yeah, that's really sweet. Um, let's see, did I learn anything? Oh yeah, he's also setting up a, um, he's setting up a, like, uh, I think, yeah, he's a dark field microscopy. Uh, so he has a microscope and the way it's arranged is it, is it has a black background and the microscope projects its image uh, up up into a TV television monitor and so you know he can put microbes and things on on a, a microscope slide and I think it uses black light um, that's sort of what it looked like you know but then you get the the microbes appearing up bright on a dark uh, dark background there was a little there was a little uh, strip of mycelia mycelium on uh, on the slide that uh, that he showed me which was neat talked a little bit about Paul Stamets Joe Rogan he asked me whether I would try DMT and I think the answer is yes and uh, he is intrigued also boy seems like everyone I meet <laughs> Oh, that's uh, confirmation bias, but um, anyways, now I have a little pet, a little pet moss ball. What shall I call it? Fergie? I don't know. Well, who, whoever says it needs a name. And names such as human beings give uh, to things wouldn't necessarily make sense in moss ball consciousness if there is such a thing. <laughs> Anyways, I'm back home. See ya.